We're starting a new series, a new topic, so you picked a good week to come, so you can be here for the first one. The series is titled, In the Meantime, I don't know if we've got a title slide for this week, but it's called The New Normal. And we're going to start off with the question that was already been on the screen, and this is the question, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? Now, we all have these situations. We have problems, some we can solve, some we can't solve. We all have tensions in our lives and our relationships. Some we can solve, they can go away, some can't go away. We all have times in our lives, circumstances that we don't know what to do, nothing we can think of doing is going to change anything. Lots of areas of life. Relationally is probably the biggest. Uh, you're in a relationship, you're married, and you started off, you know, blissful, and now years down the road, it's just uh, two of you existing together. You don't want to change, they don't want to change, you don't want to end it, so you just are in the meantime situation. Could be with your kids, if you've got kids. And when they were in school, you were telling them, keep the study hard, and they didn't listen, and now they're down the road somewhere, and they have few options because of decisions they made in the past. And uh, the future doesn't look that promising to them. Maybe it's financial. Um, you had all these dreams, and now you're somewhere down the road, and you're not going to have the a house with a white picket fence. Uh, You haven't had it, you're not going to have it, and it doesn't look like you're ever going to have it. Uh, Things aren't going to seem like they're going to change. Professionally, maybe. Uh, You're in some line of work that you don't enjoy, and you just do it so you can pay the bills, or maybe you've lost your profession. It's interesting. I've been a pastor for almost 40 years, and some jobs that people did 40 years ago don't exist anymore. And your job may have been eradicated, uh, it just doesn't exist anymore, and you've got to find something else to do. Um, health issues. Um, maybe you've got this situation, it's not going to kill you, but the doctors can't cure it, and so they can treat it, and so you're just going to have to live with it. It could be something like uh, arthritis or something else. Um, it's the new normal. Um, it's not what you wish, but there's nothing you can do about it. You're in a in-the-meantime situation. We could say there are some options. They're just not good options. Probably the most dramatic one is loneliness. How do you deal with loneliness? Well, usually what happens is you get in a bad, situa- bad relationship, and you think well, it's better to be with somebody than the nobody, and then as it turns out, it's not better, and then you're feeling even worse afterwards. You feel like running, but you don't want to run. You don't want to leave that spouse. You don't want to leave those kids. You feel like quitting, but that's not a good option. Um, And then you get the jealousy thing comes in. Our mind starts working overtime, and we look at other people, and they, hey, look at their life. Their marriage is great. They're happy. They go places and do things. They have nice things that I'm never going to have. Their kids seem to be successful and uh, making a difference in life, and mine just kind of sit around and don't do much of anything. Uh, So we do that comparison thing, and that certainly doesn't help, does it? 
Can you undo it? You can't undo it, right? Life's life. This is the way it's going to be, at least for the foreseeable future. And then, um, especially if you're in church, some person says something silly, and I've said some of these things too, and I had to apologize for them. Oh, God answered my prayer. And you say, oh, what did he do? Well, I lost my keys, and I prayed, and then I found them. And you're thinking, you haven't got a clue what life is about. If losing your keys is the biggest issue you have to deal with, I'm thankfully answered your prayer, but he doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. And we all have a preferred future. You know, again, the white picket fence, live happily ever after. Uh, you know, you stay married to the first person you get married to. Your kids, again, you know, are successful. And, and then the grandkids come along. That's a pretty cool time. Uh, we're in that situation. We all have this preferred future, and it's just not turning out like we dreamed or we preferred. And then uh, we begin to tell ourselves some lies. Uh, Lies we believe. Let me put a couple up on the screen. First one is, uh, I'll never be happy again. You know, I was happy those first few years of marriage, but then as time's gone on, I'm not happy and... Again, things aren't going to change. I'm not going to get happy again. I was happy when the kids were little, but now they're teenagers and now they're adults, and I'm just not happy. Uh, they've, gotten, they've got friends I don't approve of. They've gotten married, and I don't approve of that person, or I don't approve of the in-laws, or sometimes we call them outlaws. Uh, that's just the way it is, right? I'll never be happy again. I'm, you know, that, that, none of those things are going to change. Second lie we tell ourselves is nothing good can come from this. And pastor, I don't want you to tell one of me one of them story, those stories out of the Bible, like Joseph was a, a slave and all of a sudden he became the second most powerful person in the world. I don't want to hear those silly stories. And I don't want you to quote that verse from Romans chapter 8 where it says all things are going to work out good because in my situation, it's just not going to happen. And then another lie we tell ourselves, there is no point in continuing. Continuing this marriage, continuing this relationship, continuing trying, continuing to dream. And unfortunately, we all probably know people like this. They ultimately said there's no point in continuing in the end of their lives. Now, we're going to talk about this happy topic for the whole month of January. Aren't you excited? (laughs) Uh, But it's really important, I think, as a pastor for me to get up here and talk about real life. And this is real. We all have, in the meantime, situations. Um, As a pastor, I hear this a lot, obviously. People come and talk to me and my wife. And if you do counseling, you hear this. And even if you don't, if you've got friends, you hear this. And they come and say, you know, this is my situation, and I want to fix it. And they talk for a while, and then I want to say, okay, here's how you fix it. Da, 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 da. And sometimes I can't fix it. I don't know what to say. And sometimes, this is really sad, people come and say, I know you can't fix this, Pastor. I just need somebody to talk to. At the center of this issue are some questions we ask ourselves, and I'm going to give you a couple of them here. Uh, Does God know I exist? Or does He exist? Um, I'm in church here, maybe trying to figure that out. And if you're here not sure, we're glad that you're here. I think it's a good place to try and figure it out. But does he know if I exist? And if he knows I exist, does he care? Or is he saying, hey, 
Don't bother me. I've got seven other billion people to take care of. I'm running the universe. You know, um, you're down the, down the priority list someplace. Does he really care? And does he hear my prayers? I keep praying and praying. I've been praying for years, and the situation is not getting better. In fact, it's getting worse. Now, if you're Jesus follower, the good news is the New Testament addresses this issue. And of course, that's what we'll be talking about for the next month. Uh, if you're not a Jesus follower, you know, you're just trying to figure it out. You're, it's interesting. You, in these situations, you're probably praying, and then you catch yourself saying, "Why? I don't even believe there's a God, but I'm praying just in case because I don't know what else to do. Nothing's going to change. In fact, God may be using this situation to get your attention. Um, I might say, wits in, maybe this God thing will, will help. Maybe this God thing will work. It really boils down to this question. Where is God? Where is he? Does he exist? Now, I'm going to give you the answer up front, and then we're going to talk about it, okay? And here's my, here's my answer. <laughs> God is not absent, and we'll explain a little bit about that. God is not apathetic, and we'll explain that. And God is not angry. <clears throat> he's not absent even though he f- it often feels like he's absent. He's not apathetic even though it might feel like he's apathetic. And he's not angry even though it feels like he's angry at us. And the reason we feel like he's angry at us sometimes is we do wrong things. Uh, we do bad things. We do things we shouldn't do. And... We think God's angry with us, and that's why we're in this situation. In fact, that might be why you're in church. Well, if I'm in church, maybe I'll get on God's good side. Maybe I'll put some money in the office, I'll get on God's good side. Or I'll get my good luck back, or get my good karma back, or whatever terminology you use. Now, before I go any further, I want to kind of uh, poke a little fun at us, all of us, because we're all a little hypocritical sometimes. In the meantime situation, we often don't feel the presence of God. But there are times in our lives that we don't want to feel God's presence, isn't there? I don't think I'm the only person that's done that. There are times in our lives when we are planning to do wrong things. We are planning to sin. We might be planning for a few minutes, a few hours, a few days, maybe for a few weeks. We went and bought something to participate in that. We may go somewhere to do that. And during that time, we aren't turning on praise music. We're not putting on the church's CD, are we? We're probably putting on some other kind of music and playing it really loud, some other secular music we call it in church, so we can kind of drown out that little voice in our head. If you're a Jesus follower, you got that little voice in your head, right? Your conscience, the Holy Spirit, whatever. And he's saying, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. And you don't want to hear me. So you're... We all have ways of, of blocking that little voice out, don't we? And even if you're not a Jesus follower, you got that mama's head in your mind, right? Mama told me not to do this. Mama told me not to go here. Mama said not to hang out with those kind of people. But I want to hang out with those kind of people. I want to go here. I want to do those kind of things. So sometimes we go out of our way to not experience or feel God's presence so when we're in the meantime situation and we're not feeling God's presence, it's sometimes a little hypocritical, isn't it? 
So, a couple things that helped me. One, and you probably heard me say this, most of you, feelings are real, but they're not always justified. Let me ask you, do feelings lie? Do your feelings lie to you sometimes? Lie to me, I'll give you a good example. When I, first years of marriage, at times I'd, I would feel like my wife didn't love me. And she's a busy person. She cares about a lot of other people. And I figured she cared about more other people more than she cared about me. And I'd get, you know, feeling sorry for myself and I feel like she didn't love me. Is that true? No, it wasn't true. Now, as I've gotten older and wiser, when I get those feelings, or if I get those feelings, I say, no, 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 no. <laughs> I know better. I know my wife loves me. All right? So feelings are real. means you have to deal with them. But they're not always justified. They're not always telling you the truth. They can lie to you. The other thing that helps me is if I look at the New Testament especially and say, hey, did anybody else go through what I'm going through? Did anybody else experience some of these in the meantime experience when it didn't seem like God was answering their prayers, maybe even God was there? Um, So one reason we're doing this series is because I want to talk about real life stuff and I've experienced these things and I don't want to get up here and talk about something I don't know anything about. So we're going to quickly just look at two stories from the New Testament. And the interesting thing about both these stories, interacting with Jesus, is Jesus kind of set these folks up. For, uh, in the meantime situation, he, it seems like he could have avoided it, and he didn't. <clears throat> so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 11 with a guy named John the Baptist. We talked about him before, back, back uh, last month. And John was out in the wilderness preaching about sin and repentance and forgiveness, turning to God, and he was baptizing people. That was called John the Baptist, not that he was in the Baptist church, okay? So John was Baptist, who was in prison at this time, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. That was Jesus. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, all right? So John had, at one point in his life, been baptizing people. Jesus came to him and John said to Jesus, hey, don't follow me, follow him. He's much greater than I am. He's way greater than I am. He's the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. And then Jesus goes off and starts his ministry. Now, John's in prison, so he, he, he's wanting to find out if, you know, he, if he was actually proclaiming the truth back then. So, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, why didn't John ask him himself? Because John's in prison, right? Now, let me give you a little backstory here. Uh, Herod's the king, not Herod, Jesus' Herod, uh, baby Jesus' Herod. This is his son, Herod Antipas. He is king now, all right? And he's got a brother, Herod Philip. I know it's a little confusing. Everybody's named Herod because Herod was kind of an egomaniac and called everybody Herod, all his kids. So we got Herod Antipas, that is one son, that's king, and Her- uh, his brother is Herod Philip, and then they have, he even named the females. They've got a, they've got a cousin by the name of uh, Herodias, all right? As it turns out, Philip, I'll just call him Philip, winds up marrying Herodias, his, his, his niece. That's what, yeah, her niece. So uncle married his niece. And Philip goes off to Rome for a while, and while he's in Rome, you know, when the Mouse is away, the cat will play, right? Or cats, cats away, the mouse will play. That's the right way to say it. Anyway, so uh, Herodias, it 
has an affair with the king, Herod Antipas. And eventually they get married. Now, like preachers do today, the king's kind of the most famous person in society. And so uh, there aren't uh, <laughs> these, these magazines and the internet and stuff. So John's out preaching, and he's always, as he's preaching about sin and repentance, who's he going to talk about? He's going to talk about the king and this, you know, this relationship with Herodias. Well, the king thinks it's kind of funny. I mean, who's this guy out in the wilderness talking about? I'm the king. He's not going to hurt me. But Herodias, she's really ticked off about this. And so uh, what the women want, the women get, right, guys? And so she gets him put in prison. Not just any prison. This is the dungeon of the king's uh, palace. And we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more about that. So John's in prison, so he's got doubts. You know, he thought this Messiah was going to make everything good, and here I am stuck in prison. So, what does Jesus do? Does he go and visit John? Does he send his disciples with some food for him? Because back then, the prison didn't feed you. Your friends had to feed you, or you starved to death. Um... They write him a letter, not that we know of, go visit. In fact, he could, could he have went down there and broke him out? I mean, Jesus could have done that, right? <clears throat> no, uh, he didn't do any of those things. So, um, the next verse, what's the next verse? Jesus said this really interesting thing about John. In fact, it's always kind of surprised me. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. You mean Moses or, or uh, Elijah or David or Abraham? Certainly Dave, Abraham. No, 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 no. John is the greatest. And what's Jesus do next? Now, if I'm writing the Bible or you're writing the Bible, and this isn't God writing the Bible, uh, we wouldn't put this part in because Jesus doesn't come off good in this, in this story. And I, I explained it. The reason it's in here is because it actually happened, and Matthew was there, and he saw it. So what, what did Jesus do? Jesus heard that John had been arrested. He left Judea and returned to Galilee, went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved on to Capernaum and beside the Sea of Galilee. Now, I need to explain a little bit. We're going to put a map up here so you can figure out what's going on. Because you read that, and you think, oh, big deal, right? All right. So down here near the bottom is uh, top of the Dead Sea is the area, the uh, Jordan River, where John was preaching. And then he got arrested. He was put in Macheris, which is down there at the very bottom of the right. All right so that's where the king's palace is. And this is where, where it was built. All right, that's what it looks like today. So this is out in the, in the desert. That's where John has been put in prison. All right? So Jesus is ministering also along the Jordan River. But he hears about John. He goes up to Galilee. You see Galilee. Then right at the top of the Sea of Galilee is Capernaum. So John's down here. And where did Jesus go? The opposite direction. Complete opposite direction. And I don't have a picture of it. But Jesus is basically sitting under a palm tree at the beach. While John's in prison in the desert. And so John's there for a year and a half. And he sends these disciples, hey, yeah, my life's not so good. Are you really the person I claimed you to be? And so what's Jesus tell him? He says, yeah, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you're looking for. And I'm healing people and casting out demons. And I'm setting the captives free. Not literally 
but spiritually, right? So I don't know if you want to go tell John that, but uh, they go and tell John. Now, isn't that us? We see God blessing this person and blessing this person, and I'm in this in the meantime situation. And then Jesus says something really powerful for all of us. Here's what he says. God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. What's he saying? Blessed are those who still believe, even though I do things that would tend to make them not believe. In fact, they believe in spite of me, if that makes any sense. I didn't help. I didn't interfere. I didn't intervene. I'm going to summarize it this way. Don't interpret God's silence as absence. Just because somebody's silent doesn't mean they're absence. So Jesus is about going around doing his teaching, and this guy runs up to him and says, hey, 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 Jesus. And here's what he says. Your dear friend or the one you love is very sick. Now, if somebody calls you up or somebody runs to your house and says to you, the one you love is very sick, who are you going to think of? Well, if you're married, you're probably your spouse is going to be the first person you think of, right? Because they didn't use a name. And if you've got kids, it's probably your kids will be the second. But there'd be a small group of people, wouldn't it? If somebody could say, this is who you love, and they don't even use a name. And so what do you expect Jesus to do at this point? This is the one you love. He, he's sick. Expect Jesus was healing all kinds of people he didn't even know. He'd certainly go and heal this guy, right? No, nope. in fact, disciples get up to go, and Jesus says, no, sit down. We're not going. But, but he's sick. No, no, we're not going. Why aren't we going? Well, I got something else planned. <laughs> All right, and some of you may know the story. Um, a couple of verses later, he says this. Although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Lazarus is the one that was very sick, uh, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Were they glad? Were they excited about this? No, they were probably ticked off, right? He probably got mad at Jesus. I would, wouldn't you? And Lazarus gets sicker and sicker and finally dies. Now, I bring this up, talk about a category of life, all right? Again, these in the meantime situations when you don't know what to do and it doesn't look like things are going to change. Uh, so the second statement is this. Don't <clears throat> confuse God's apparent absence for apathy. Don't confuse God's apparent absence for apathy. Now we talked about sometimes we feel like God is angry with us. Does stuff, done something we shouldn't have done. How do I know God's not angry with me? It's simply this. Probably the most famous some of the most famous statements in the world. Most people outside the church know this word. Know this verse. John 3.16, for God so loved the church people, right? So God so loved the good people. No, it says God so loved the world. God so loved everybody that he sent his only son. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus comes to earth. He suffers and dies on a cross horribly. 
And the way I understand this, God poured out all his anger on Jesus on the cross. So there's none left. It's all settled. So God's not angry with you. God's not angry with me. It's done. It's finished. So, thirdly, don't view God's unanswered prayers, or probably better is when God says no, as God's anger. So let's go back and look at those three lies that we believe when we're in the, in the meantime, in this new normal situations. And we lose some things. We lose joy, don't we? I'll never be happy again. We lose joy, but that's a lie. Or nothing good can come from this. We lose our hope. But again, that's a lie. We lose our purpose. There's no point in continuing. Again, a lie. Your and my joy can be restored. Our hope can be regained, as well as purpose and meaning in life. So we're going to end this way this morning. I'm going to put up three statements on the screen. I'm going to say it, then I want you to repeat it after me with enthusiasm. Even if you don't believe it, and even if you don't feel it, okay? It's kind of a little method in my madness here. All right, so here's the first one. I can be happy again. I can be happy again. Second one. Something good can come from this. Something good can come from this. And the third one, there is a purpose to this plan. A pain, excuse me. There is a purpose to this pain. Now, this in the meantime deal is a pretty big deal, especially if you're in the middle of it, right? Uh, My mother-in-law confessed this morning that half her life was in in, in the meantime situation. She's 75 years old now. So this is a big deal. And if you're not in one right now, uh, you will be in one sometime. So we're going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> Hopefully you can join us. Um, I want you to share with me your in the meantime situations, or just tell me. Maybe you say, I'm in one. Or you might want to give me a little more detail. You can do it in your card. You can send me an email. You can call me up and tell me. You can talk to me personally. Um, it'll help me do this series if I know some of your in the meantime, situations. A priest seems going to come and uh, <clears throat> sing a song about, I think that it's helpful when we're in these situations, that we just need to know that God's got the world in his hands. So I'm going to pray, and they're going to come and lead us uh, in this closing song. <clears throat> Father God, thank you that... Uh, we're not the first and we're not going to be the last to go be, be in the midst of an in-the-meantime situation. And these new normals aren't our preferred normals, whether they're relationally, whether they're physically, whether they're financially, whether they're professionally. And God, we tell ourselves some lies. You don't care. Uh, you, don't, you don't know me. Uh, it's not going to get any better there's no purpose in this pain. But God, we need to acknowledge and realize the, the, these are lies. The feelings are real, but they're not justified. You've got to help us uh, 
in these situations, in our, when we doubt, uh, when we doubt your goodness, when we doubt your grace, we doubt your mercy. God, give us, uh, renew, re- re- restore our joy, our hope, and our purpose. And if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, we want to pray a special prayer for you that you would step across that line and, and accept God's gift. You will be changed. Um, and you won't have to walk through life alone. We thank you, Jesus, that you love us enough to die for us. In your name we pray. Amen.